Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Four. And uh, I want to begin Psalms 24. I'm going to do something this morning. And uh, I'm just going to tell you that I'm just going to preach Jesus this morning. And uh, I could preach a lot of things. And there's a lot of things we can talk about. You know, I could, I could talk about, you know, uh, any kind of... Uh, you know, title uh, about life we could talk about, but I'm just going to rear back and just preach Jesus this morning, and uh, and and because there are going to be some here that preaching Jesus is going to make you squirm, because you need to get right with Jesus, and for some of you it's going to be a challenge for you to go higher, because anytime we preach Jesus, the Bible says He's lifted up and all men are drawn to Him. And Jesus always calls us to a higher place. And so some of us will be called higher this morning. Some of us will squirm. Some of us will rejoice. We will rejoice in the fact of the hope that Christ has given us through his blood and the joy that we know now. And then some this morning will respond with the attitude that I need more and more of God in my life. And that should be all of us because we all need more and more of Jesus in our life. Psalm 24 is an interesting psalm. David wrote, there were some psalms that were written that were called the Psalms of Ascent. And uh, uh, David uh, had written a couple of these psalms. And uh, this is a psalm of ascent. And it's a psalm that is written that um, uh, it's it's a call to go higher. David is expressing to a nation that is backslidden toward God to go higher and to a higher plane and serving God. And so David's call here is an interesting psalm. psalm. The psalm was written to commemorate the return of the Ark of the Covenant to the sacred city of Jerusalem. Matter of fact, the Ark of the Covenant was representation of the presence of God. It had been stolen and away from the children of Israel. It had been down... Um, Uh, down and held by the Philistines, and uh, when the Philistines uh, considered that the ark was too hot to handle, and so they allowed David and them to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. It was a picture of God bringing his presence back into the midst of his people. How many know you can be religious and do religious things and not have the presence of God in the midst of what you're doing? But David thought that it was essential that before he ever began to rule or be able to rightly rule, he knew how important it was to have the presence of God in the midst of his people. And I want to tell you that it's very important this morning that we understand that everything we do has to be understood, that the presence of God is very important to be in the midst of God's people. Here in Psalms 24, 24, for seven months the Philistines had kept under lock and key uh, and had finally decided to uh, return and allow the ark to come back. And David here in this psalm, David had already made, uh, at one time, made a disastrous attempt to capture the ark and it didn't turn out very well. But here, a time had come. Early part of David's reign, he struggled in his in his reign with God. Now he came to the place where he decided he was going to do things God's way and do it the way God wanted him to do it. And all of a sudden, now God's hand is on him in a powerful way 
to lead and to rule a nation because he decided that he was no longer going to do it his way, but he was going to go after God and do it the way that God wanted him to do it. The Bible said David was a man whose heart was after God. And so David decided that he was going to do things God's way. And this is a commemorative psalm. This is a psalm that speaks of the moment David is bringing the ark, the presence of God, back into the city of Jerusalem. Now, there are several psalms that uh, portray this event. Psalms 132, Psalm 68, Psalm 87, and of course, Psalm 27, 24 here commemorates this. You can learn much about what happened. But here's the scene. David, along with the priest and along with many uh, of the children of Israel, along with those they're bringing... Uh, the priests are carrying the ark on their shoulders, and uh, all of those who sing instruments and sing in the choir are marching. They're bringing back this ark. David is leading this procession, and David is leading the procession. He's dancing before the Lord with all of his might. He, can you imagine? Now get this in your mind. Here David is leading thousands of people who are bringing back the Ark of the Covenant that has not been there, what represents the presence of God and God's, and God's activeness there. He's leading them back. David is leading this procession. There are priests. There are countrymen. There are nobles. There are those that are surrounded. There's the choir. There are those that are singing as they come back. And as they are singing, they begin to sing this psalm. This psalm is a psalm that David wrote um, uh, for this occasion, David is leading, he's leaping, he's dancing before the Lord. And he gives us a picture of what happened, what this parade was like as they came in to this great city. And imagine being in the city of Jerusalem up on that, that high hill, looking as David and those leading the procession overcame the hill and seeing that procession. And you could hear the sounds of that psalm being sung as they came over the hill and the rejoicing that was going on. And the city could hear the psalm as they came over the hill. What a beautiful picture that probably was as, as, as they crowned that hill and in Judea. And all of a sudden, as they began this ascent, or they began this ascent up to the city of Jerusalem, there's a song that breaks out. And the great choir that is with David, this is what they say. They begin by saying, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and has established it upon the waters. They cry that out, and as they sing that out, then all of a sudden, in just a moment, David, in the midst of his dancing, he, he himself bursts into a song, and David, in verse 3, responds to the choir, and he says this, who may ascend the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, and who has not lifted up his soul to idol, nor sworn deceitfully. Then all of a sudden, in the midst of that, again, the choir responds to David and answers the question, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? And they say that he that has clean hands and a pure heart. And they go on in verse 5 and says, he shall, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and the righteousness from God, his salvation. And this is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Selah, they say. 
Selah, they say. Now, that word Selah, do you, you know what Selah means? The word Selah actually means, what do you think about that? <laughs> Isn't that great? So David and his choir are coming in. They're singing this psalm. And David's responding. They're singing out this psalm. And David responding and singing. And so the priests and the choir, and they top this hill. And they're continuing to lift their voice. And David, in verse 7, cries back out to them again in response to their answer. And he says, lift up ye heads, ye gates, as he approaches the ascent of Jerusalem. He says, lift up ye heads, ye gates, and be lifted up everlasting doors, for the king of glory shall come in. And David ascends this hill, and he enters in. He comes to the gates of Jerusalem, and he says, lift up ye ancient gates. Open up the ancient doors, and the response of the man behind the gates in the citadel, he responds to David, and he says this. He says, uh, 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 sorry, I've lost my place. Lift up ye gates and be lifted up, that the king of glory shall come. In verse 8, who is the king of glory? And David says, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. And again, the, the man behind the citadel says, who is the king of glory? And David responds differently this time. He says, the Lord of hosts. And so it's this beautiful picture of this returning of the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. It's a beautiful picture but more so than it was this beautiful picture in Scripture, there's a prophetic theme that runs through this passage. Little did David know that the actions that he was taking and the actions that the priests and the choir and those were taking was giving a prophetic picture of the future, of what is to happen one day in the future. Little did David know that he was being led by the Holy Spirit as he danced before the Lord, rejoicing in the return of the presence of God back to the city of Jerusalem, back to where it originated and back to where it belonged. There was a prophetic picture here, David dancing before the Lord. If you remember as David danced before the Lord, as he danced, do you remember that his, one of his wives... She became embarrassed of David's enthusiasm. Do you remember Michael? Michael was who? She was Saul's daughter. How did David marry her? He cut off the head of Goliath. And she was offended at David's enthusiasm, offended at David's dance. I think I'd have given her back. <laughs> She became offended at David's enthusiasm. She said, doesn't it embarrass the king to, to in other words, paraphrasing, to, to dance like that, to strip himself of his royal robes? What she was saying was, is this. She was saying, you know, you being naked before God was an embarrassment. But God saw it like this, as David stripping everything that was of himself down to just who he was. And sometimes that's just how we need to come before God, is we need to strip ourselves of everything that tells us who our identity is and come down to the barrenness of who we are in the flesh so that God can be seen in our lives. 
She's mad David didn't have his throne on. He didn't have his robe on. He didn't have the things that represented his kingdom and represented his world. I'm here to tell you that when you get in the presence of God, everything you are does not matter. The only thing that matters is what you are on the inside. And believe me, no matter what you have on the outside, God knows what's on the inside. And she became offended, but David entered into the city. And so what we see when we see in the psalm, we see three things. We see We see here, we see the Lord's claim, we see the Lord's call, and we're going to look at the Lord's coming. His claim, his call, and his coming this morning. Now let's talk about the Lord's claim. Verses 1 and 2, the Bible tells us this. It says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And, and, and the world and those who dwell in it, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. He has established it upon the waters. The earth is the Lord's. Now, how many of us know that the Lord's territory is much larger than just the earth? How many know that the Lord's territory has to do with all space and heavens and galaxies, that the vast stellar uh, empires that are all, around, all out there, they all belong to him. He sits on his throne and he looks through the vastness of, of galaxies and the vastness of the universes that are there. They all belong to him. Do they not? Do they not all? Is, is not, but he says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Lord's claim is that the earth is his. And as he sits on his throne... He can look and he could, have, he could choose out of millions and millions of galaxies that are there, but he picks one, he picks one galaxy, he picks the Milky Way, and there are hundreds of billions of stars uh, that, are, that are circling this galaxy, but out of that galaxy, out of all the stars, he picks one star, the sun. And he picks the sun, and he picks that one thing out of all the galaxies that are orbiting, and the sun has its little family of planets that are around it, and in the midst of that, he looks and he says, the earth is mine, says the Lord. And he picks the earth. And if you think of the vastness of God and the vastness of of space and the vastness of all that God has created. There's things that are out in the universe we have never seen or even know about. But I thought to myself, here's the Lord's claim. He's claiming that the earth is his. Out of all of it, his claim is, out of his mouth, his confession is that the earth is the Lord's. And I thought to myself, that's interesting. C.S. Lewis called the earth the silent planet. He called it the silent planet because the Bible says in Psalms and in Job that the stars circle around the galaxies and make music as they they surround the galaxies and it's as though the music is sound to God. In other words, they sing, all the inhabitants sing of the creation to God. They lift their voice to God. And C.S. Lewis said the earth is a silent planet. John Phillips said it like this. He said, the earth is not a silent planet. The earth is a sobbing planet. 
He said the noise that is coming from the earth is not lifting up its voice to God who is the Lord of hosts of all creation, but the earth is lifting up the noise of the screams and cries and the agonies of pain and the, and, and the, and the hurt and the things that sin has caused and the agony that is on the earth. The cry of the earth is not one that gives praise to God, but that one that cries out in agony to God. As rest of creation glorifies God, the earth in itself is a planet that cries out. It is a sobbing planet, as John Phillips would say. But yet the Lord picked it and said, the earth is mine. The earth is mine. This met- Why would he even bother? This little speck, this micro speck of all that he's created, why would God even bother to care about this planet? And why, even that, why would he make the claim, confess that the earth is the Lord's, and why would he confess that? It's not a claim he's made elsewhere about any other planet or any other galaxy or nothing in Scripture gives us the indication that God has paid specific attention somewhere else. But why the earth? As I thought about that, I thought about that none of you would have known that, on, that before January 18, 1850, anybody would have heard of a place called Waterloo. You know now, but you, you, it's a teeny little village in the empire of France, and uh, so small that it barely registered on the map. Waterloo was a small place on the map, and even then, very little people knew where it was, but on that Sunday morning in 1815, what happened there is that is that the armies of the Iron Duke of Wellington of England began to master the armies of Napoleon and really on that day changed the course of history for a lifetime. But as you think about that, Waterloo is only assumes importance in the eyes of the historian. And the thing is, it's not the size of it that has importance. It's what's happened there that brings such importance. In other words, it's not so much what, what, what it represented or what that spot was. It's what took place there, which was important. When you begin to look at it, when we begin to look at the earth, it, it's not so much that the earth is important in its size, but it's important in the fact of what has taken place here on the earth. But what happened here when sin began on the earth, And we know that sin didn't originate on the earth. Sin originated in heaven. It began when the heart of the anointed cherub and the choir master of heaven, Lucifer, the son of the morning, when he began to rebel against God. But before the mystery of iniquity began to rise its head in the universe and and, and, and dateless and timeless past before the angels of rebellion ever rustled their wings to disturb the silence of eternity. Even before Satan himself rebelled against God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit had a meeting. And in that meeting, they decided that when the mystery of iniquity would raise its head, that they would settle it once and for all on a hill called Calvary, on a place called the earth. 
And Satan didn't know that when he was cast to this earth and he began to tempt our first parents and when sin began to enter into the world and evolved into this place, when sin came in, little did he know, little did Satan himself know that by his invasion of this earth, that one day he was falling into an ambush which had been set before time. Little did he know that God had it already met and had decided what would happen in the mist when sin would raise its head in the earth. God said, the earth is the Lord's. And he put Jesus on a hill on Calvary and settled it once and for all for each of us. And so the earth is not special in the fact of its size are in proportion to the rest of a galaxy. But it's important because of what's happened here. And what happened here is that God sent his son to die for the sins of all humanity. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And they belong him. And so the Lord announces the universe is his. He announced it to the universe that the earth is his. And I don't care who claims what, who stands on what hill, or who channels what, or says what over the airways of the media. I'm here to tell you the earth belongs to the Lord, and it is His. Hallelujah. This is God's house. This is His place. Sin has damaged it and ruined it and brought it down to a place where destruction and death and life and people have been broken and living it. But I'm here to tell you that one day he's going to redeem it. One day he's going to redeem it. One day he's going to redeem it. It belongs to him. He controls what happens here. He, I don't care what, what they say in Russia or what they say in India or what they say all over the world. They, man can make his plans, but God orders the steps of godly men. God orders the steps of this earth. And I'm here to tell you whether Trump is the president or crazy Bernie or, or, or somebody else, God is on the throne. He was on the throne when every one of our 40-something presidents were in the throne of America. God did not move one bit. He still remained where he was. He still was governing the affairs of Ben. You ought to rejoice over that. Think about that before you throw something else on Facebook. As if God's not in control. As if God can't, or if God can't, I'm here to tell you God can do what he chooses to do. There's nothing that holds him back from revealing who he is to mankind. Y'all with me this morning? I'm about to take off. Why? Because the air you breathe comes from God. The earth you walk on was created and made by him. He gave, he, he spoke it into existence. Woo! And you get the privilege of living on a planet that God said, the earth is mine and the fullness thereof. I guess I better get on to another subject because I am wearing that down. The earth is the Lord's. And then this psalm breaks into not only is it the claim of God's claim, but secondly, we see God's call. 
In this psalm, we see the call of God, God's cry, God's call to a world. Now, if the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, in the midst of the earth, there are a couple places that are special to God. One of those places is the place of Israel and the land that Israel owns. That is a special place in the heart of God. The Arabs say they own it, but they don't. It doesn't belong to them. It belongs to God. Matter of fact, many call it his land. It is his land. Israel is one of the places. It is a place called the city of the king, the city of David, Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem, captured by David from the Jebusites. But even in the city of Jerusalem, there's two places that are special to God. And the earth is the Lord's, and Israel belongs to God in that plot of land. But also, in the midst of Israel, there are two places that are special to God. One is a place called Mount Zion, which is called the hill. It's the place that the Jebusites had owned before David came in and took the city that God said take. It is, a, it is the place, Mount Zion is the highest point there in the city of Jerusalem. It is the place, it is, the, it is, the, it is a picture of dominion and power. It is a picture of he who holds the hill holds the city. He that holds the hill holds the country. He that holds the hill holds the world. It stands for all the dynamics of secular power throughout history. It's a picture. David in the city of David when he ruled, it was a picture of all the dynamics of power, of secular power. But there's also another place in the city. It's called the holy place. The holy place is Mount Moriah. It's where the temple is. It's where sacred memories are. It's where Abraham had taken Isaac. The hill, if the hill represents the dynamics of secular power, then the whole holy place represents the dynamics of spiritual power. And through the Bible, we read this call of God. They're saying, there's one day that I am going to put one foot on Mount Zion and one foot on Mount Moriah, and I am going to rule the world from those places. And the Bible is a call to you and I to join him on that quest someday, to join him when he comes for his church, that one day he will rule from that place. And there is a call to you and I to one day in a day that comes that is by and by. And everything that happens on that hill and everything that happens on the holy place and everything that happens on Mount Zion, there is a, quite an offer to you and I to come. It is a call for us to come and sit with him and reign with him and rule with him and come beside him. And some of you this morning has answered that call and you've given your life to Jesus, but there's one day we will rule and reign with him for a thousand years on this earth. Are y'all with me this morning? Because I'm going someplace. We're going a little bit higher here in just a second. I don't know if you get as excited as I do about that, but I'm here to tell you there's a promise to the believer that one day you will not be below, but you will be above. 
You will not be a beggar. You will be one that rules and reigns with him. With a thousand. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when he sets his kingdom up on this earth and we rule and reign with him? No more tears. No more pain. No more agony. No more agony. Nothing ever to set us back but to live in the fullness of what God has desired all of us to have this morning. Woo! Hey! I don't square dance, but it makes me want to. Take your partner round and round. That stuff will make you do si do. Do you remember two disciples came to Jesus with their mama one day? And Mrs. Zebedee with James and John came, and she came to Jesus, and she said, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, do you think that my son, James and John, one could sit on your left hand and one could sit on your right hand? Now, we, we become critical to Mrs. Zebedee because we think how arrogant it is to come before God and ask him for a position in the kingdom. But I want to tell you, I admire the woman because that's not a great, that's not, there's nothing wrong with a parent wanting our child to ascend to the highest place they could ever ascend. At least she had the guts to ask. Jesus said, request denied. That's not for me to give. He said, that's earned. And I want to tell you, God gives us unmerited grace and unmerited favor, but he never gives us unmerited reward. And the way we live our Christian life and this life will determine what our position in the kingdom is in the next life. You say, why is it important for me to do what God's called me to do? Because it's, it depends on what your position in the kingdom is in the next life. Live lukewarm. Live a life that's, that's remote. Live, and live a life that's not serving to God, but you're saved. That's fine. But when you get in the next kingdom, don't complain to God. Because even though you're making it in by the grace of God and the mercy of God, God gives unmerited grace, but he never gives us unmerited reward. It's the Lord's call. It's calling us all to a higher place. How does he do that? Through Christ's likeness of life. How, how, do we, how do we ascend? How do we ascend to the call? How do we ascend to that place? Because the way we do it, he gives us here in this verse, he tells us that it's Christ's likeness of life. You say, what do you mean it's Christ's likeness of life? The Bible says, he that has clean hands and a pure heart shall ascend the hill of the Lord. The clean hands represents our outward life. The heart represents our inward life. And, we, and he joins the heart and the hand together because we do what we do because we are what we are. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Christ's likeness, Christ's likeness of life. Our hands and our hearts. How we serve and our inner man determines how we ascend to the hill of the Lord. How do we ascend to the position of ruling and reigning with Christ? Your heart will be measured one day and your hands will be measured. Your service will be measured and your attitude and your heart before God will be measured. There's not only likeness of Christ's likeness of life, but there's also Christ's likeness of longing. How do we ascend? How do we ascend and stand? He said this, 
Those who do not lift up their soul, and some translations say idols, but some of you have translations that says, have not lifted up their soul to, who's got it? Vanity. Right? Christ's likeness of longing. Now Solomon in his old age, some commentaries, taters believe that Solomon had done more to destroy Israel than any other king. Some believe that he started well, but he made shipwreck of all his way. Do you remember that time when, when God came to Solomon? He had been down in the valley, and in that valley they, had, they were sacrificing to the altar of Moloch. They were sacrificing their children on the altar of Moloch, and And Solomon came up from that valley. He was not even disturbed by that. And God told him, God told him one day, God said, if it wasn't for your father's sake, I'd do it now. But after you die, I'm going to rip this kingdom into pieces. I'd do it now if it wasn't for your father David's sake. By the time Solomon had finished with Jerusalem, He had turned it into a modern-day Babylon. In other words, his longing of life was for those things which were vain and vanity. I got the picture. I thought to myself, did did Solomon ever read the Psalms of his dad? If you'll read Psalms 139, David goes through and talks about how that we long for the things of this earth and the things of this earth and the riches of this earth and the things of the earth can never satisfy. God is the only one that can satisfy. And at the end of that Psalm, he says that everything that does not lift up God or honors God leads to vanity. I could see Solomon sitting and reading that psalm and realizing later in his life when he saw that word vainness or vanity in his father's psalm, maybe he had the revelation. And as he said in Ecclesiastes, that everything in life is vanity compared to the things of God. You know what the bottom line was? He who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in the Lord is he who has not lifted up his soul to vanity. In other words, the kind of person who doesn't live for the wrong world. What world are you living for this morning? Solomon came to the realization his life was vanity. And I want to tell you that there has to be Christ-likeness of longing. In other words, to ascend the hill of the Lord in the day of his kingdom, we have to understand that your longing has to be for the things of God. And I want to tell you, Solomon represented God's kingdom, but he did not live out the principles of God's kingdom. And I know, I want you to know, unless God sends a revival to the body of Christ, we may represent Christ. I'm not too sure how powerful we are living out the principles of Christ. Because is there not certain atrocities that, 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 that bring grievance to your heart this morning? When have you wept over abortion? That's what Moloch was. Solomon was allowing it to go on down in the valley. How different are we today? 
to allow some of the things that have become wicked in this nation to go on and to turn ahead and not have a stand, not have a voice, not saying because we don't want to make people mad. What world are we living for this morning? Woo! Longing. Christ's likeness of longing. It's a call to the live that the longing of Christ. Are you after Christ this morning? Do you love him? Are you after him this morning? It's not, I'm not mad. But it's a call to a higher place. We all have to go there. We all have to ascend. And then there's the Christ likeness of language. In verse 4, he says this. He says, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has lifted up his soul to to idols, nor has he sworn deceitfully. You know what that means? It means this, he that has not spoken hypocritically. He that has not spoken. And so what's it mean? It means means to proclaim God, but live differently. It means to speak one thing and do another. How many know we need to get back to living what we confess. How many know our language needs to change? You know what it really means? If you bring it over to the New Testament, it means they have the language of faith. They have the language of faith. I'm telling you, some of you can't get through a day without criticizing somebody. Tearing somebody's world down because they're not like you or they wouldn't do it like you do it. Or because they don't, they, don't, they, don't, they don't have the personality you have. Or they don't have the accomplishments that you have. Right? Is that a language of faith? Is that the language that should be coming out of the church? Or should we not be speaking life over people? Speaking life over folks. It's so easy to turn to the flesh and to get caught up. Look, we all do it. We all need to turn to the language of faith and speak those things that are not as though they are. I'm not saying being blind, but what I'm saying is this. If the word of God says it can be accomplished, there's nothing wrong with us standing in the courthouse and in the face and say, God can do it. He said in his word, he promised it to us. We have a right as believers and the priesthood of Christ to proclaim his goodness over our life. Speak life. How many know our language needs to change? Our faith language needs to change. All right, I'm getting there. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. The Lord's claim. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Lord, or Lord's call. A call to ascend the hill of the Lord. To, 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 to purify our hands and purify our heart and to purify our tongue. Now, the Lord's coming. I don't know if y'all are ready for this. Because <laughs> I don't even know if I'm ready for it. I'm about ready to preach one of the most exciting verses I have ever preached in my life outside the resurrection and the cross. I'm breathing hard because it is stir inside of me The end of this psalm deals with the Lord's coming. (laughs) David had no idea he was speaking prophetically when he marched through those gates with the Ark of the Covenant. The song that the choir was singing, 
The psalm that the priests were singing, they had no idea. They had no idea. They had no idea they were speaking of a future that they longed to see. They longed to know. They longed to know. But it's a day we will see. It's a day we will know. The Lord's coming. Five times in the closing verses, the Holy Spirit speaks of the Lord Jesus as the Lord of glory. Five times it talks about the Lord of glory. Twice the gates are told to be lifted up in these last few verses. Verses 7 through 10. Twice the question is asked, who is the king of glory? And once the Lord responds, one who is strong and mighty and mighty in battle. And once he responds, the Lord of hosts. Now why do you think the Holy Spirit records twice the question, who is the king of glory? But the two responses, each answer is different than the other. He asked the same question twice, but the first response is different than the second response. <laughs> I'm glad you asked. The Bible tells us the Lord Jesus dwelt on this earth. And for 33 years, he dwelt here. And time after time, he won victory after victory after victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. He went from temptation to temptation. He took the devil's best shot on every end. He was tempted by the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He was bombarded by hell itself. He was, he, was, he, was, he was attacked. He was chased. He was, Satan tried to trap him, destroy him, kill him. And for 33 years, he walked upon this earth. And the Bible says, who is the king of glory? And the response was this. The response was, the first response was, Lift up ye gates, O ye ancient doors. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Who is the king of glory? It said the Lord strong and mighty and mighty in battle. Satan had him on the cross. And when he got him on the cross, he realized that was a mistake. And then he urged him to try to come down after he got him on the cross. You know why? Everything they threw at him was vanity. Everything they tried to do was vain. Every trap and every attack Satan tried to do, he could not keep Jesus down. And he died on that cross. He died on that place of Calvary. And when he died there, he rose again. And he defeated Satan every time he defeated him. And he defeated him once and for all on the cross. And he rose again. In complete victory over Satan. <laughs> Whew. Hallelujah. They put him in a tomb. They sealed that tomb with the might of Rome. They put that seal on that tomb. All to vanity. All to vanity. Every try. Do you realize what Jesus did for us? He was perfect and sinless. And died for us. Whew. 
How's the old song go? Vanity, they sealed the dead. Jesus, my Savior. Vanity, they watched his bed. Jesus, my Lord, up from the grave he arose with a mighty trumpet over all his foes. He rose a victory from the dark domain and lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. Ha. Hallelujah. He was the Lord mighty in battle. <laughs> Woo. Never lost a victory. He is God who is strong and mighty in battle and carries the authority of all the earth. And for 40 days he appeared to men, proving himself alive by many infallible proofs, the scripture says. He gathered up his disciples and he brought them to the Mount of Olives and he begins to ascend up on high. And as he ascended, the last things they saw was nail-scarred hands and pierced feet as he went into them wrapped around by the clouds. Here's the thing. <laughs> they didn't see what happened next. But we did. David, under the writing of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a thousand years before it happened, he saw what happened next. Jesus arrived at that celestial city in heaven. He said, lift it up, ye heads and ancient gates, that the king of glory shall come in. The watcher of the gate looked through and saw a man standing there with a battered human body. And he said, who is this king of glory? And Jesus' response, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. He is the king of glory. That's what happened in heaven. And the gates opened, and the Son of God entered that celestial city. Woo! He walked down Hallelujah Avenue. He passed Amen Square. He went along his Hosanna Highway. He passed Beulah Land Boulevard. And he sat down at the right hand of God and took his rightful place in heaven to make ever intercession for you and I. <laughs> Who is the king of glory? He that's mighty and strong in battle. But see what happens between verses 8 and 9, David is never told about. And what happens is Jesus comes and he sits at the side of his father. And while he is there, while he is sitting, the Holy Spirit is on the earth moving. And it is gathering every kindred, every tongue, every nation. It is convicting the world of sin. And every day men and women are making decisions for Christ. 
The invitations are giving. And someone comes forward, and I can see Jesus sitting at the right hand of God going, there comes another one. And all throughout history, him saying, there comes another one. There comes a thousand in the crusade in Belize. There comes a thousand. There comes another one. There comes some more. There's a child sitting on this mom's lap, and the mother leads that child to the Lord. And Jesus saying, there comes another one. As he intently watches what is happening here on the earth as the Holy Spirit moves and does his work here on the earth. But you know, one day, one of these days, the very last one is going to come. And the father is going to say, he's going to turn to his son. And he's going to say, now, go get them. Jesus is going to get up off the throne. He's going to come off of that throne and he's going to burst into the environments of this planet. And every eye will see him. And his return will come. The Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise. And we that remain shall forever be changed. We shall rise. And he'll show enter into this planet and say it like the psalmist said it, or like Solomon said it, Arise, my love, and come away with me. The graves will open. Resurrected the dead will come with him, and he will carry us away out of here. And he will lead that multitude back to heaven. He'll lead us back into the throne of God, into the gates, and to the place of that celestial city. He will lead us in. And he'll come to the gates of that celestial city and he'll say, be lifted up, all ye gates and ye ancient doors, so that the king of glory can come in. And the man behind that gate will open the door and he'll look and he'll see Jesus and he'll see millions and millions of people, multitudes that have made decisions for him and he'll respond by saying, who is the king of glory? And the first time he came, he was mighty in battle. And he was strong. And he was victor. This time he comes, he says, the Lord of hosts. <laughs> and those gates shall be lifted up. I said those gates shall be lifted up. And we'll go in and we'll trump down Hallelujah Avenue. We'll go around Amen Square. We'll get on Hosanna Highway and get on Beulah Land. And he will sit on his throne. Adam, if you'll come. Hallelujah. We are ascending. Woo. And then after a while, he's going to look at us all. This is what I'm closing with. And he's going to say to us all, he's going to say,
hey, y'all, we're heading back, and you're going with me. <laughs> Woo. And he said, I need some people to help me run an empire. I'm getting ready to go back and set up and sit on the throne of my father, David. And we're going to reign on the earth for a thousand years. And I need some help. And he's going to gather us together. And he's, here's what he's going to say to us. He's going to say, let me see your hands. And let me see your heart. He that ascends the hill of the Lord has clean hands and a pure heart. Let me see your hands. I want to see what you did with those hands while you was on the earth. I want to see what's in your heart. And as we stand before that throne judgment of the righteous, he begins to reward us with crowns and victory in our life. We see your hands. Let me see your heart. How did you serve me? How did you walk for me? And then he's going to ask this question. It's the question that he asked Solomon. He's going to say, what world did you live for? Will we be like Solomon and in shame bow our head and at the end of life, after all of life's over, we profess Christ, but all of our Christian life, we lived for the wrong world. And that's my question this morning. What world have you lived for? Let me see your hands. Let me see your heart. He who ascends the hill of the Lord clean hands and a pure heart and has not lifted up his soul into vanity. And Jesus says, get ready, here we come. Here we come. Here's how I'm going to close this morning. Selah, what do you think of that? I don't know who this is for this morning. I'm telling you, I'm so excited about the return of the Lord. I'm thankful that he won every battle. He is the king of glory. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. 
If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.